For me, um, it's just wonderful to be back here in Texas because we've spent the last three weeks all going around Europe. We did, England, uh, we did two shows in England um, with a week apart in, you know, in time, but we travel all over the place. It's remarkable. But to come back to Texas, it could be a bit cooler. <laughs> but when you sorted one summer in Texas, anywhere in the world is cool. <laughs> we enjoy it, and I've, I'm almost as, today, I'm almost as warm as I was in the winter. <laughs> like putting a, putting a woolen overcoat oven and walking into a sauna. Uh, that's the sort of temperatures you're, you're talking about. So, anyway, thank you for coming. And Anybody got any questions? Yeah, we'll get some questions from you guys. I've got a couple for you myself. Speaking of the suit, yep. the suit has gone through a number of iterations. Eventually, they added a cooling system for it. Would have been nice if they'd given you that to start. Well, they didn't think, because Star Wars was, uh, or a new hope, shall I call it. Um, <laughs> Gotta stay on brand. Yeah, stay on brand. We are now corporate folks. Um, it was a big movie. Therefore, have a limited, limited budget. And uh, a uh, Wookiee suit was the least of their worries. <laughs> if they could get some idiot to go in and wear it without putting a cooling suit in, cooling uh, system in, they will find out. But over the period of time, over the years, the cooling suit was added. Otherwise, it was a big fan um, in the, green, in the uh, green area of the studios. Two big fans undo the suit, take the head off, blast cold air, or as cold as you could, as the air was available, and you just oh yeah, within five minutes you were you were you were reasonably cool, but it was only on it was only on seven and three that they actually found a way of doing um, a cooling soap which, which pumped water around the suit in tubes. So when she came off, I had a jacket with a, a double tube in and it was hooked up to an ice bucket with a motor in in cold water. So it pumped turn the motor on, the cold water would go through you, but uh, around your body, cooling it down rapidly. That's how they put over that. None of your space techniques, but it worked. You know, it was easy to do, uh, easy to get in and out of. So, yeah. But the costume itself has changed so, so rapidly. Um, we were right up till we did Jedi, uh, we did Star Wars, New Hope, Empire, and Jedi on two suits, two identical suits, which were hand knitted and hand hand sewn. All the yak hair was sewn into the into the Mohair suit. Did they give you an impression of how many yaks they had to shave for that? 
I don't know whether it's a hell of a lot of bald animals in Texas. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He came in by the bail, so they took it. So I know. I think there was about twenty people actually making that food, doing that, doing the hair, because yak hair, only yak hair, is about eighteen inches long, and it's ideal to hang. It's like hair that hangs. If you do it long enough, it'll hang straight, and that's what they needed for this particular particular suit. And the, the mask, oh, the headset, was uh, totally different because you had a, like a snood with yak hair through it and it opened up and it was attached to the fake mask of my own face so you didn't need a back packing on it. And it just slid on, did up as a Velcro uh, top uh, on, the, on the head and at the neck, and then poked the, poked the toppers and combed it out, and you could, couldn't see the joint. We are there, and one morning, on the stars, the person in charge had taken it home to get it to do some re reconstruction work on it, and I had left it on the kitchen table. He arrives at the studios, thinking it's in the back of his car. No. So we had to do a very smart turnaround and persuade George to change the scenes while Chewy, while the head was rushed from the house back to the studio. <laughs> he never found out. So that was good. That was excellent. So, yeah, there are various stories. When you came back in episode three, you came back to the franchise before Harrison, before Carrie, uh, before uh, somebody else who maybe shows up uh, in episode seven. I don't know if anybody's not seen it in this room. I would lay a heavy bet that everyone has. Uh, coming back in episode three, what, what were some of the changes that you experienced, particularly with the suit? The suit, as I say, the, the calling suit was there. Basically, it was the same suit. Um, and we had uh, Tafel, who was the other rookie. Your mentee, your apprentice. Yes. And we had to, those little scenes that we did was Yoda escaping in the, in the pod. So we had to get him out, put him in a pod, and send him off. And we're, George actually came down and organized it. Instead of the word action, George would shout through a microphone, Wookies! <laughs> that, was, that was our signal for, for action. So he'd run down, look, watch the, watch the council chamber, which was secured, and all you had was um, light stands with tennis balls on them, which had faces. So you could spot whoever you were, emperor or one of the councillors, and you concentrated on those. So they gave you a line of, so you could come back every time to that same line, and this would be in the same camera, in the same camera version. 
But Ruf, the best bit of that was we look and we've got to read Yoda, uh, yeah, Yoda, and pick him up and take him to the to the uh, escape pod. So we're looking down camera thing, and on the floor, halfway down the run, was a burlap sack with a piece of rope onto it. That was supposed to be, remember, it's CGI. <laughs> that was Yoda. <laughs> so we're running down, and I was reasonably fit in those days. Um, so George said, right, see that burlap sack? Pick it up, fling it over to your shoulders. Okay. That slight bend, picked it up, went over my shoulders. When we saw the finished product, that was Yoda flying through the air and landing on my shoulders. So it was really, really interesting to see how it was done. You know, being a novice, well, not a novice at those days, in those days, but when we first started, I didn't even know what it, the front end or the back end of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you put film in there and it comes through. Yeah, like, it's crazy. There are a lot of people here who grew up with you and, and grew up Chewbacca fans. What did you grow up a fan of? Were you a particular cinephile? Were you into books? What, what, was, I, what was Peter's obsession? I enjoyed some of Black and White films early 50s. Alleginus, um, Peter Christian, all the good actors that can change from theatre to movies to television. I'm working with two of the greatest. One was, uh, one was Alec Guinness and the other was Peter Christian. I've yet, um, you know, that's right. And even when we were doing three, um, oh, can do uh, Oh, uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah. We're in Australia. I'm getting a haircut. Um, there's a knock on the door. I went, come in. His head pops around. And it's Christopher Lee. <laughs> Hello. My name is Christopher Lee. I think you have more time on screen than I do. <laughs> Uh, we exchanged pleasantries. He went his way. I got a haircut. <laughs> so uh, we're doing a Vanity Fair five pager, and Chris turned up with his wife, immaculate, just like Count Duke. And he's there. You know, everybody's regarding him as a wonderful person, which he is, he's a fabulous guy. And we learn later on that he is an actual count. He has a estate in Southern Italy. So moving to Hollywood didn't really faze him. He enjoyed it and he could always go back to where his, his uh, kingdom was and just enjoy things, but 
Now, when you're working with those kind of people, they are so nice, and they know what they, they know what they want to do. They know how to do it. Um, so I'm glad to say that Harrison is going to be one of those people because he's a <clears throat> he's a brilliant actor. He's a good director. He knows stories and reads everyday words. He is considered. He considers to do as a as a, uh, a movie project. That's why he is now being planned another indie film. How did two of you kill time in that cockpit between takes? A lot of people love mythologizing the making of the movies. Oh, we're experienced, but it's a whole lot of waiting. Yeah. How would you fill the time? We have hamburgers and milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will see down. Down below, down below the um, console, there's a little hole. There's two, two little holes. One of them's got milkshakes in, the other's got. But uh, I, I lied, like mad. <laughs> Not to worry. But no, we we talked, we talked to each other, and you learn how to. Because remember, Chewie is a mind character. Therefore, you have to learn. Say you've got four people. You've got Harrison, myself, Mark, and Kerry. <coughs> and you've got to look being, you can't stand it doing nothing. So you have to learn the last words on everybody's speeches so that you can relate to them either with a growl or a flick of the eyes because they are my own eyes. In no contacts, no nothing. So you can use a lot of good information, whichever way you're. You know, you build a character. You build a character from from a suit. And who was it? It was an English actor that said, "I build my character from my shoes upwards. How do you stand in shoes? How do you wear trousers? How do you wear a jacket?" That all creates a character. So it's we learn, you know, we talked about things. Um, usually, um, there was a it was shorter. Uh, the gap was short, short enough not to worry about getting into deep conversations. That would, you could do that when they were changing sets or doing lighting or whatever it is. And we had, we've still got a good relationship with, I've got a good relationship with all, all three of them, both Mark, Harrison and Gary. And we see them at Celebration, which was three weeks ago. They, they, kept, they were here, uh, hang on, now they're in London. God, what am I thinking? <laughs> You have that many transatlantic flights, at least. Exactly, and we're going, we're going back to get back next next couple of weeks. So yeah, it's remarkable that all the advantage miles and you, that you get, <laughs> you go from you go from economy up to first class, and having a status symbol. It works. You know, it's it's a great fun to do, but. Considering it's been what thirty odd years, I think 
Now, some good has got to come out of this. So you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> One of the things that uh, that I don't feel like uh, gets gets cheerle cheerleaded enough is the, the different personality to the original three films, which each had a different director. Yes. Yep. George did the first one purely because it was his baby, and he would he was a writer and a technician, so he was writing it down the way he wanted the way he would speak it. And I'll give you an example. We're in the cockpit and we're just going to get ready for hyperspace. And Harrison got this line and he tried it twice, three times. Couldn't get it. So he George is where you are. This is the cockpit. He leans over and says, Hey George, what if I say this and this and this? So it's the same thing. But you write so much comedy you. I'm gonna try and do it this way. Mm, okay. Just let him do it. And we got him on tape. It's remarkable how you change a few words. It still means the same thing. But if you're an actor is happy doing that, I think you get a better performance out of it. Oh, that's it. How did the dynamic change working with Irvin Kershner on Empire Strikes Back? Empire? God, that was fun. Um, if you like to be cold, because half the location was in the middle of Norway. It was, a, it was a cross country ski resort. Minus 15 to minus 20, 30 feet of snow. And the only reason, as I say, the only reason this was up there was it was a cross-country ski resort with a railway and a hotel. It was like a western town in snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was tall enough I wouldn't fall into the crevasses that were under. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they did, we had an army of equipment up there. We had snowcats with the big caterpillar uh, tractors. We had everything that we needed for a film unit. Because when you're about 100 miles away from the nearest town, you can't blow a fuse and go, to, go into a Walmart or anywhere else like that and try and get one. So everything had to be shipped in and what they did, they took ski poles, 20 foot ski poles, and they planned out where the hardness, where the solid snow was, because it minus, minus, uh, it was freezing, that you could drive the, the snow cats and the skidoos along those, right, along those, in between the two, um, what's names, in between the two poles. That was a secure, solid, concrete, ice, walk. I never did it. I always got, I always got a lift in, so if you're going up and set, I will lift up. And that reached nicely to the drop there. And we're doing the pro-droid shoot, where Han and Chewie are out looking for Mark, and they come across a pro-droid. 
We're up there. Nice. Everything's. We've got ski, so ski clothes on. George comes on and he goes, hmm, you two looks too smart. Get them jackets off and roll in the snow. <laughs> we both went, no, George, I don't want to. <laughs> Do it. So we rolled in the snow. And if you come past the table, I've got a picture of Chewie with the wind, snow, snow blown uh, hair across. So we rolled in the snow and Joy came up, we got the shots, went back and we had a, like a cantina up there so that you could get out the cold. It was heated to about one or two degrees. <laughs> now, no, don't spoil the story, he plays. Um, we get back and get told, yeah, you, you finished, you can go back and change, go, on, go back to the hut. And the dresser took, uh, I'd already got rid of the hair, uh, uh, the mask, and he undid the back because the suit has a zip right down the back from spine to neck. So he undoes it. I ease it off because it's like a pair of gloves, but they cut the fingers off. So you pull it out. And anybody trying to take a pair of gloves off. That's so keep one. Don't worry. Anyway, cut a long story short. Got it off. And hours later. Um, no, half an hour later. And it hit the deck. It was a wooden deck. It hit the deck like a load of washing coming out of a washing machine. <clears throat> it looked like a drowned cat. <laughs> Fortunately, I had taken other warm clothes up there and I tried to lift it. It must have weighed 20 pounds. This solid mass of wool and mohair. I thought, thank God I ain't going to wear that again. <laughs> but, and then we came back to England and finished off Empire and went on to Jeddah. And going forward, you uh, you ended up working with a couple of directors here on, on uh, these last two movies. Yes. How would you how would you characterize the, the personality of J.J. Abrams? What was what was he like to, to meet, to work with, to interact with? Well, we had a little medical problem. But I'm not going into that. But we explained it to him, and he said, "Right, what I'm going to do is let you do as much as you can." And then we will find a substitute for certain things. I'm not going to say what because I don't, magic. I don't, it's magic. It's magic. And so, but JJ is like George. He's a true Star Wars fan. He knows what he wants, and he was working with the old cameras old dollies and some of the old cameramen. So it was CGI minimal, practical, practical stuff. Shot on film. Shot on film and they found, because the original Falcon was taken to pieces, 
they found the blueprints in an office. Someone had them, and they were in a, an office drawer. They found them, they looked at them, realized what they were, and took took them to the took them to Pinewood and literally rebuilt it inch for inch. There was even the details on these drawings were this piece of wood is a downward strut. It's an inch and a half by quarter inch and a quarter by thirty-eight inches long. It's there. All you've got to do is cut it out of a block and put it in. Even the screws and nails were specific were a specific thing. So it took maybe 20, 20 people to build it. And I had to build it, they had to move it four times. <laughs> so it's, we were talking to one construction. Was the hyperdrive enabled or? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were fitting machine guns and cluster bombs. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great and it looked like the original set. As you walked into it, you, there was a smell of old sets. You know how the panels in the in the common area were brown in colour, and some were grey, some were brown, and leather had been leather had been um, treated, aged and, aged and treated, so that it looked like a, the original. Just been sitting around for yeah, years. just been around for forty. Yeah, exactly. I I wouldn't want want to pay the storage on it, but <laughs> <laughs> no. so yeah, it's it was in, an interesting situation. Now we 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 have to respect non-disclosure agreements and contracts and all that kind of stuff. I can't ask you anything about episode eight. You've strictly forbidden it. Yes, and that's fine. But I can ask you. Have, have you met my friend Ryan Johnson? I hear he's he's directed an independent film in England recently. Uh, Doesn't yeah. have a title yet. What, what do you think of this guy? What, it, uh, this, this latest director in the in the series. He strikes me as a nice guy. He obviously knows what he wants, and he's come from an, a school that breeds good directors. If you're in, if you're, you look at his record. It's there. He's done a lot of good movies. Um, he seems, as I say, only only met him very briefly, but he seems a nice guy. And we, yeah, I I reminded him that I was there, available, and we we'll work and see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if we'll you're even in the movie. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, and I can't say nothing. Because the mouth, because the mouth don't like it. <laughs> big, big Mickey is watching. It's not Big Mickey that you've got to worry about. It's that, it's that little mini that you got to watch. She controls the buttons. As I say, we're here, we're still here, and we're still as ever popular. I have one more for you, and we'll turn it over to you guys for questions. Uh, I mentioned earlier there's there's a master and an apprentice. Yes. Your your mentee, your uh, your guy that you're grooming, as it were, to uh, to put on the act suit. What what is it about his personality that makes it work? What is it that that makes him work beyond his size? 
What is it about his personality that works in character? Um, that is almost an impossible question to answer. Because I've got 30 years experience. He has probably had six months. No, I do not answer those, that kind of question. Perfectly. Because, as I say, Mickey <laughs> would be very um, annoyed. Not annoyed, but, you know. Displeased. The secrets stay inside the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. Anybody got a question? And again, sensitivity to non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff. Back in March, all I had the measure, made the pleasure of meeting with Paul Blake, the actor who played Rito. Yeah. And he vouched for what he just said, I'm going to be a Star Wars with a B movie, and no one's ever anticipated how popular a big would be. Despite his five or three minutes on scene in the cantina, he loves to bring all the attention you gave him. Have you ever been afraid that since Star Wars was such a big hit, that you were typecast as that one movie character and not in your... Uh, Let's face it, that is my experience of <laughs> film experiences. And you ask any actor whether they would like to do that particular character or whether they were capable of doing it. I, you know, when we were talking to people, talking to other actors while we were filming, even while we were filming, it had a reputation that any actor that got on Star Wars was, was going to be A, popular, and be reasonably well paid. I hope that answers your question. It does. Next question over here, Marcel. Uh, we know that uh, the Star Wars dialogue from Chewbacca has been censored out with Well, you don't speak Wookiee, obviously. Well, <laughs> but we also know that there is real dialogue that you've spoken before that was taken out. What's your favorite bit of dialogue from the three core films? Oh, Mickey's watching. If you can from the core films. Um, I'm going to answer that by saying if you can remember what you were doing 20 years ago, <laughs> I will answer that. Apart from that, I can't even remember what I was doing yesterday. <laughs> I can remember his time, maybe I was playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. Right. Um, so, I was curious, I know you've read some children's books. Yes. I know what got you down that path. What, what kind of well, there was a young lady um, we we work with the Five of Hurst. They're a charity organization. They're upstairs. Over there. And across the way. Across the way. She had a, I forget whether it was cancer or she had a disease that was going to kill her. And we thought about this because um, Lucasfilm had a droid uh, that was pink. It was a little girl, R2KT. 
tree. We, you know, and knowing a lot of little people, Kenny Baker, all the, all the Rusty Goff is another one, and we thought, well, we've got the same problems, but in reverse. Therefore, if we can produce a book that shows the differences between my size and Kenny's size, people are going to look at it and they are going to teach their children the differences, what goes on, what problems they have. And not only is it um, Kate, you know, the, the, uh, my favorite giant, which is Katie with Chewie. The other one, um, I can't remember the name, but it goes to, we go to Africa and we see all the big elephants and the rhinos and the hippos and the birds that work, in, work together to guard each other. We've got a picture in the book, there's a picture of a rhinoceros with two birds on the top of its, on, the, on its horns. The rhino keeps all the other people, all the stuff away from the bird, uh, the, uh, the area. The birds go and spot where everything is and they also keep the rhino fresh and smooth without having a shower. So it works both ways, and they are good books, and they're fully illustrated. Available now? Uh, hey? I said they're available now. Well, the Wookiee Rose website, and we've got, we've got them at home, so look on the website, and they will be there. Um, it may take us a little while to get them out. Oh, so the shipping department has a note for us? No. Yeah. So yeah, everything, as I say, that was a thought. But now, uh, uh, it was just something that we wanted to do, and make sure that everything, um, because the five hundred first collect for charity, the Wookie Roars is also a foundation that anybody that needs money or needs help around the sci-fi or 501st um, organization. They apply to us because the 501st cannot give away money like that. It has to come through a foundation to be granted. We look at things, um, we give away, oh, you know, if, if say, for example, you need something for your kids or your accommodation or you've got to say you're away from home and say your parent one of your parents is dead or is dying, the airfare will be covered one way. So, you know, it's a good thing we do in our charitable bit and it's well we look up we look after our Chewbacca keeps watching out for everybody. Yep. More questions? He always has so. Anybody else? Questions? You know, you oh, no, I'm going to go with this guy first. <coughs> yes, sir. Uh, I've heard that you live in Texas. I was just curious. So you're familiar with uh, what drew you to Texas? 
I learned it takes <laughs> Can I say, Peter, good choice? Good choice, yep. And also, she is a toy dealer. So, I, she, when we first met, um, we were at a convention in Vegas. No, not Vegas. Albuquerque. And, we, you know, being a star, or like a so-called star, um, we have to get everything, and that sort of thing. And someone said, Oh, you're a toy dealer. You can walk away with the biggest animated toy in the business. She <laughs> <laughs> said, Yep, eat mine. I think he's my home boss. So, yeah, and we've been out, we've been out 14, 15 years, and it was the first thing I ever did. Uh, Get out of England. <laughs> I'm not even going to comment on what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah, it's not in my syllabus to talk about politics and things that are going on. Well, I think that's the time for celebrity. I think everybody has to know what they're thinking. That's all you have to say. So I suppose in hearing that, you know, you're a celebrity. You know, yeah, but, but when you say I'm a celebrity, I still put my pants on the same way. Yeah. I still eat. Yeah. I still carry on. Yeah. I have still the same emotions, and yeah. you know, if you don't like it, there's a door. Yeah. <laughs> As a follow-up to that, uh, is there something that you that you particularly have enjoyed about living in Texas? I'm a I'm a born and bred Texan myself, and I, I always like hearing what our what our transplants like about us. I like where we are. It's country, very much country. We've got a little bit of land with a house and it's well away from any major roads so you don't get traffic. It's 20 minutes to the nearest village but we only go in twice a week. Once on a Monday to take the empties back and then on, third, on Friday, we go to Walmart, spend all the fortune, take it home, eat it during the weekend, and start again. So, I, love, I love Texas. It's green, it's hot, and it's wet. You know, I think this year we've had more rain where we are than, well, more rivers uh, because we're on the uh, Brazos River area. And the river has been coming up and up as, as rain comes down and down, and then it goes down again, back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So quiet. It really is. I always remember coming in to do a show, I believe this show, not this show, but the, the one in Plano. And picked up on the airport, and we're driving around, we're driving home. And I see some cows. I said to Angie, my wife, you take the front, I'll get the back. Meals on wheels. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so much green. It's, it's, I know, 
you've got to experience it and it it takes a little time to get it into your system to slow down uh, because these days most of our time half our time is spent on the road you know we do two shows a, two shows a month can be anywhere in the world so you appreciate the quietness and the greenery and everything else that, so that when you come home you can take the phone off the hook and unplug your computer until you're ready to face the World Cup because usually it's one day out two day, three days show one day back so that's five days that's a week <laughs> yes, as I say, it's there, but I wouldn't do anything else. We've got time for a couple more. Yeah, so right here. Uh, two things. How heavy was your, your uh, Chewbacca costume? And the best part of the costume, which is really your costume with your eyes, because it's so expressive. Mm-hmm. Your eyes the costume might probably weigh 20 pounds. Okay. If the wool. So you mentioned a big one for wool. Yeah. Um, pounds of weight that's constantly moving with you. Yes, yes. Yeah. But it's flexible. No. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? And the other part was just your eyes. They were your own, but it was just yeah. so expressive. That's all you could see with your eyes. It was just so expressive. How did, how did, you, how did you learn to, to peer out through that, that suit that, that wasn't very forgiving for actually expressing facial expressions? It's one of those things you learn. We had a master that did the face crust. The face crust was of my own face, and he said, Don't worry about it. Normally, if you do a face crust, you either either close your eyes or keep them up, it depends. He said, You close your eyes because I'm going to cut them out with with a dremel and fit them because I've got long lashes on the bottom as well as the top and I will fit it so that the lashes come out and it covers the cutout. Therefore, when they, when they put the hair on, they take it from the in, inside outwards so that it joins up with the eyelashes. Therefore, it looks perfectly natural. Yeah. With a little bit of makeup on the top of the eyelid, you know, it's there. Yeah. So, then we, you know, you come to the actual mask, which is, it's a polystyrene base, and what they've done to get it right, they have taken. They split it along the jawline. They take a set of a set of dentures and a tongue. Assemble those. Put those into that hole with pivots here, so that as you open it and close it, it moves. But the clever part is they've got springs on those bolts to go through. Therefore, it's it. It springs open, but in the lips, which are latex, you have 
magnets. But those magnets are reversed. Instead of drawing together, they push it open, which counterbalances the springs, which makes chill, which you never ever see Chewy with his mouth completely closed. In none of the photos. And the tongue is a looks like a popsicle. <laughs> and it's, but it's got a tag on the back of it that I can use I can hit it with my tongue and it works. and it works. And it works. It's, all, it's, it's all basic. Made by it. And then I have it, these Roddy McDowell's Man of the Apes. Probably the best, he's dead now, but probably the best makeup person and um, special effects person. Huh? No, this was Stuart Freeborn. Best guy I've ever. He looks like Yoda. <laughs> I kid you not. When Yoda was, when Mark, we were doing Empire, and this little character had to come up, George walked up to the special effects makeup part of the studios, just talked to Stuart, and he said, Right, I need a character. Stuart said, How? What, uh, what do you want? There happened to be a mirror there. He said, Look in the mirror. Add two, add some rabbit ears to it, and that is what I want. And it was Stuart's face, all real wrinkly, and he was a tiny little old man. He was no bigger than about five foot four, but what a master, what a great man. And he'd been in British film and uh, British effects for about 30 years. He was the master. There's no two ways about that. Can you want one more over here, and then I've got one to close this up. Okay. Bach has been a fan favorite from the beginning, but you know he didn't get a medal. He's always been kind of a side character. In J.J. Abrams, he's gotten more of a center stage role. Have you enjoyed that? Of course I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> this dummy. <laughs> so, Peter, do you like a lot of attention heaped on you? Thank you. Much deserved praise. Actually, you're wrong. I did get a medal. The Popcorn Awards, the MTV Popcorn Awards. Yeah, he's a real fan now. And the princess, Carrie, gave me the medal. It was only the, re the reason why he didn't get it, to, first of all, was I think they ran out of money. <laughs> or that she would not, she couldn't reach the Chewy as he came, as he, as he went on the steps, she couldn't reach the camera. Uh, the, she couldn't reach the Chewy's neck. So, any more? One last one for you. Do you have a favorite scene, or or do you do you have trouble narrowing it down? No. My favorite scene is when Chewy's playing chess. <laughs> Let's hear it for Peter Mayhew, everybody.